First reading is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 13, starting at verse 10. That's Luke, chapter 13, starting at verse 10. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. The second reading is um, Luke 10, and that can be found on uh, page 1041. Uh, Luke 10, 1 to 4, and then 8 to 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. And then from verse 8. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Tamsin. Thank you, David. Let's pray together. Let's just reflect for a moment on the, the inescapable fact that, that Jesus, the one who's won our hearts, the one we seek to follow, the one we seek to know, inescapably was a healer, and that the heart of his ministry is healing in its broadest sense of making men and women whole. So, Father, this morning we pray you will help us to understand a little further uh, of what the ministry of healing is in our, in our community and amongst us and how we might live uh, in the light of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, even 
secular historians of the first century and people with no Christian faith at all um, record the fact that Jesus was a healer. The fact that Jesus, at the core of his ministry and life, was uh, the gift and the ministry of healing is beyond any doubt. And I think Christians throughout history um, and across our own circles of friends um, know that even if we can't quite uh, put our finger on how it works always or what its right expression always is, somehow the healing of uh, people's lives physically and emotionally, mentally, spiritually, is, is really at the heart of the gospel, that the gospel is in, in some way about these things. We also know, I think, that um, it isn't a straightforward matter. And uh, as I was preparing this, several examples, several personal stories came to mind. Um, soon after Sue and I were married and we returned to Sudan, uh, within about four months of our marriage, she became very seriously ill with hepatitis B. And... Uh, um, almost died, um, but uh, recovered. But, uh, as is characteristic of that very nasty disease, she was extremely weak and extremely debilitated for a very long time afterwards, in the end, something like three years before she felt she was really beginning to function uh, properly. For most of that time, we stayed in Sudan, being noble, heroic missionaries who never gave up. Um, and it took uh, a brother in the Lord to say, it's time to go home, um, which we did eventually. Um, but the point of this story I just want to share with you is this, that many, many of our Christian friends came and prayed with her um, faithfully over long periods of time. And in terms of her physical condition, um, it had no impact at all. Some of them became very impatient with her. Some suggested she didn't have enough faith. Uh, some suggested there was unconfessed sin that had to be addressed. Uh, some of them added considerably to her personal pain and uh, distress. And most just gave up after a while. And she went the long way through hepatitis um, and eventually uh, recovered. And, um, and uh, we returned to Sudan eventually and continued our, our work. So that's been actually a rather important experience in our marriage. The first three to four years of our, our marriage were, were con not consumed. <laughs> it was still a very good time in many ways, but were really powerfully af affected by... Uh, Sue's very serious uh, illness. Um, towards the end of that time, a friend of ours visiting from Germany, a worker with OM, um, called Johann, um, driving a, a big uh, lorry through southern Sudan as part of the OM team he was, he was with, turned the lorry over, and his team leader was killed in the accident. Um, he was then uh, arrested for um, dangerous driving or, or something of the kind 
and he had the really distressing situation of being under arrest in a, uh, a very foreign country in South Sudan and uh, also having been responsible for the death of one of his close friends. At that point, he also became ill with hepatitis. It's an occupational hazard of living in South Sudan and was very ill. And Sue and I went to visit him when he was released from custody and he was staying with a, an English doctor. And the doctor said he's very, very ill. Uh, I don't know whether you'll get any conversation out of him. And um, um, after you leave, I'm going to put him up on a drip because he's not eaten, eating anything or drinking anything. So we went in to see Johan, sat on the bed. He turned his back to us and faced the wall. <coughs> and we had no word from him at all. Um, Sue and I were... We knew him fairly well. We're consumed, really, with concern for this young man so far from home, so ill, and facing such, such terrible challenges at this point. And we, we prayed for him and left. Nothing. He was still lying there, face to the wall. Um, the next day, we were contacted by the doctor who said, I don't know what you said to Johan or anything else he said, but uh, about an hour after you were with him, he got up, left his bed, went and sat in the garden, and he's still very, very weak, but he's on the way up, and I never had the need to give him a drip. And Johan came through that experience. So a very strange and quite difficult irony with Sue's journey and, and, and Johan's journey. Um, Jonathan Cowie, whom you'll remember, who won't mind me telling the story because he's told it himself, he was um, progressively getting weaker and towards the end of their, their time here in, in Guildford with some kind of lung condition, he had a name for it, uh, which meant that breathing was becoming increasingly difficult and in fact uh, he reached the point where he would make uh, the judgment as to whether he could afford to go upstairs to get something or not because climbing the stairs was so debilitating. And uh, one Sunday after the morning service he asked for prayer and we went into the little prayer room back there as it was then and we anointed him with, with oil and simply prayed for his healing. And slowly over the next couple of months um, he was thinking of giving up work and sort of becoming retired through ill health. Um, day by day, he, he got stronger and stronger and stronger. And some of you will know that story in more detail. And that was just an, another of those moments where the healing touch of God seemed to be really, really present. And God's and the, the kingdom breaking into our lives just seemed to be present. Um, and Jonathan was restored to full strength. And just a final one before you get, uh, I think I'm telling far too many stories here. Um, uh, many of you remember I had a, a major heart operation um, five years ago now, um, a triple bypass operation, and, uh, which saved my life very probably. And I remember very vividly when I came back to work and one of the first Sundays that I was leading or preaching, I don't remember which, but I remember very vividly standing at the front there and looking out over pretty much this congregation probably and, and uh, many of you might have been 
present on that occasion, and realizing that I had been through an extraordinary blessing in that this operation, one of the amazing things about heart operations, they can dramatically change the situation you're in. And I had had a dramatic um, restoration of my expectation of life. But I was looking out over a congregation and I could see three or four people who had similarly serious um, health issues, perhaps had had operations, perhaps were having medication in different ways, and for whom the journey was still very, very complicated and still very, very uncertain. So to those stories, you could, each of us, you, you could all add your versions of it. You could add those, those stories where something really remarkable and unusual had happened in terms of uh, God's intervention in, through prayer, or sometimes even without it in any very definable way. Um, but God's grace and goodness and healing power being present, and other situations in which it seemed to be mysteriously absent. Um, it's my experience, and I suspect a lot of us would, would, would line up with that. Um, that story from Luke's Gospel um, of the woman with the uh, hunched back bent over like this um, is one of my favorites. It's very simple, very, very brief. It only occurs in Luke, uh, not in the other Gospels, which makes it a little bit precious. Um, um, and uh, it's always spoken to me very powerfully. And I'd like us just to dwell with that for a moment. Now, I've not warned anyone about this, but I really would like some good lady to come and help me. Claire, you're a school teacher. You know about these things. You don't mind looking a little... Nervous. <laughs> um, imagine you're this woman for the moment. She's bent over. Maybe the vertebrae in her back have fused, whatever it is. She's really crippled and bent over. No, not, not, not as if you're just sort of taking a rest. No, no, a little bit. Of, a little bit. That's right, okay. Um, don't fall over. Now, um, I, I think every aspect of this little story is really, really important. Luke tells us very uh, precisely that she was bent over and that she, uh, this was you know, a really serious condition that limited her life experience radically. Now, if Luke very probably, um, was the only non-Jewish New Testament writer, probably, probably Greek. And he shows some interesting sort of Greek perspectives. And one of them is about how human life at its best is a life in balance, is, is a life that's just, just held in balance like that. And what's distinctive about this poor woman, how are you doing? You all right? <laughs> is, is that actually she's not in balance. She's not in balance physically her natural upright human uh, position is, is denied to her. But also she can't relate. She can't look people in the eye easily. Um, she's, her physical condition turns her in on herself. She can't take part in society. She can't converse. She can't meet with people. And you can imagine that people just walk by as if she wasn't there. She was ignored. So this is not just a picture of her physical ailment. It's a, it's a picture of her isolation as a human being and her marginalization and her fragmentation as a human being. And uh, 
I find this moment really, really powerful when Jesus touches her and slowly she's able to stand up. And how does it feel? <laughs> Much better. <laughs> but but I mean, just to do it in that simple imitation, I think, demonstrates. I saw you just flexed your back a little bit. Stood to your full height. Look people in the eye. I can no longer ignore you. Um, but I, I think these, these things actually are, are, are really at the heart of this little story. They are about healing as the restoration of real human life, of being a, a real human being in relationship, able to look people in the eye, able to talk, not being ignored, um, um, and as a human being standing tall. You're not very tall, but you can stand tall. Um, thank you. Um, I think this little story is, is very powerful. I've always found it very powerful. And I've done that simple little demonstration uh, with groups of Sudanese. And we've talked about um, the marginalization of, that many South Sudanese live in, their poverty, their exclusion from education, their exclusion from power, uh, and many other things. And we've used it as a parable of many different aspects of human uh, diminishing. And uh, actually, people have been profoundly moved at that moment when the person just stands up. And in that simple act, you have the sense of humanity being restored, wholeness of life, being as you were made by God to be. And I think, for me, that's been a really helpful image of how we should understand healing. Not uh, it has physical dimensions, but also we need to think of it as God's purpose for the restoration of human beings to wholeness of life and, um, and, to, and to see that, that whole spectrum and the interconnectedness of physical healing, mental healing of the mind, healing of the spirit, um, healing in terms of people's social position and standing. The gospel is about the restoration of human beings to wholeness of life. And uh, I think that can then, that can be a real help in helping us explore some of the mysteries of, uh, of uh, God's healing power in, in the world. Just in, just in summary, because this is a huge subject, as you can imagine, but let me just sort of, sort of give a few bullet points for what I think are the really important things to hold on to here. Um, first of all, just, just rehearsing a little bit what I said about... Uh, Claire's little demonstration there of the healing of this woman. We live in a fallen world, and to think of humanity as bent over, not straight, unable to live in its full humanity, unable to relate properly as human beings, those, those are not smart. They're just very obvious features of our life as human beings, aren't they? That there is a, a twistedness, a bentness, a, an inability to stand tall in, in the wholeness of human life that uh, binds human beings. We are seriously diseased and out of kilter and out of relationship. And the gospel can be described in a number of different ways quite validly, but it can also be seen as a sort of divine rescue plan for people who, for the human race, trapped in that kind of condition, trapped in those uh, that relational brokenness, that limitation, that bent-overness. 
and that God's purpose is to restore our humanity in its full sense and to heal and make whole. Another sort of bullet point here that uh, the, the Gospels teach us to think of God's kingdom as, you've heard all this before, but it's really important as coming, already present, but also not yet here. Coming, but not fully here. And there's that sense of living in, a, in the midst of a, 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 an evolving and resolving situation that is not yet complete and whole. And so I think to use the language of God's kingdom breaking in is biblical. I think it's New Testament. And I think it's also helpful as a recognition that our world is still broken, it is, but it is on its way to being what God intends it to be. And his kingdom is breaking in in all kinds of ways. And our job is to sort of be there when it happens. Our job is to sort of, I was going to say facilitate it, but I don't think, I think that's too um, positive a word in a sense, because I think it, it's very much God's action, his initiative. Um, but our task is to be around when it's happening. Our task is to somehow be present and, and, and take part in it as, as we're able. Uh, and the church is in a way like the advanced uh, troops of, a, of an army. I, was, I just saw a film in, in the week about, uh, which was about the paratroopers, uh, the D-Day landings, being landed behind German lines uh, ahead of the main landing. And there's a sense in which the church is like that in, in our world. It's the advanced troops. It's the, the people who are taking the initiative to get right deep into enemy territory and to be there so that the, the coming kingdom can, can, can really have an impact. So I think these are some of the perspectives we need. God's purpose to really make things whole. God's purpose to restore his whole creation and humanity. And that we individually and collectively will be discovering continually what it is to be more human, more whole, individually and, and as a community. And the church is, in a sense, the advance guard, the, uh, the paratroopers behind enemy lines, the, the, the people entrusted with somehow carrying that into a world which doesn't understand it or know about it. And I think this helps us understand really how sometimes we see those things powerfully and colourfully and sometimes they seem quite elusive. I think it teaches us that we need to go on being people of prayer, going, go on praying, going on being the people who are seeking God's kingdom, seeking wholeness for human life, seeking to be present when it happens, seeking by God's grace to be those who facilitate it and, and enable it. So it is uh, in Luke 10, that's why I read Luke 10 as well, you know, that Jesus sends out his disciples and they are sent out specifically with the instruction to heal and to announce the coming of God's kingdom. Those two things go together. The healing is just one of those ways in which the coming of God's kingdom is made evident. They're told to go because Jesus sends them to go in simplicity and trust, to heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom of God is near. That's the smallest of introductions to an enormous and really crucial subject. But I hope it just um, alerts us to the possibilities of knowing more of God's presence amongst us in terms of healing and in terms of uh, the seeking of wholeness of life for ourselves and, the, and those around us. 
Um, and I hope it, it acts as a call to, to pray and to be willing to pray, to pray in faith and trust, not naively, but with a sense of participating in, in God's desire for his kingdom to, to come.